Good afternoon and welcome to the Dissident Daughters podcast. I am your host Ada and here and today I have lots of fun and interesting and hard things to talk about. As usual, you know, one of the things that happened this week in the Mormon slash ex-Mormon world was that um, a, a talk came out by Sister Bonnie Corden, the Young Women's General President. And I know that she's spoken about this story before. There was, I don't know, I think multiple talks given where she talks about this experience where um, she went on a trip with her family her kids and grandkids. And she talks about how on, I don't know, the fourth day or something that in the middle of the night, her two-year-old grandson stopped breathing. And then she goes on to talk about, you know, this traumatic event in their family and how they spent several days in the hospital with him and, and that he passed away. And then she goes on to talk about how that experience you know, affected her and how, I don't know, how she had learned to listen to the promptings of the spirit, yada, yada. It became this very faith promoting story. Well, apparently somebody, uh, you know, heard this story and thought, well, that's really weird. And so they kind of did some research into what actually happened to this two-year-old grandson, because I'm sorry, a healthy two-year-old doesn't just stop breathing suddenly. And, um, So (laughs) they uncovered some horrific details about this story and the fact that his death was ruled a homicide. So (laughs) it is totally just unbelievable to me that she would, number one, even talk about this story in like a faithful, faith-promoting type of a way And also, because wouldn't she just like assume that people would look into this and find out what actually happened? But what I found is online, I found a a child fatality summary, and it talks about how this two-year-old passed away after suffering apparent head trauma. It is, you know, a, a, I don't know how many pages, six or seven page document, um, that kind of goes into the details, but essentially, um, he woke up screaming from a a nightmare and the mom shook him and placed her hand over his mouth to quiet him and then realized that suddenly he wasn't breathing. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't all make sense. And they even say in this report that the mom and dad's stories don't really line up with, you know, what, what they appear to, um, what appears to have happened to the little boy. So the mom, they didn't call 911 when this happened. They just, the mom drove to the hospital. The, the dad stayed home with their younger child who was only like a year old at the time. But by the time they got to the hospital, um, Derek is the little boy's name. He was unresponsive. Um, he needed CPR and he was actually transferred to another hospital because of all of, you know, what was going on, but he essentially had several, uh, subdural hemorrhages of the left temple, uh, hemorrhage with a midline shift and retinal hemorrhaging. I mean, the, the list kind of goes on and on and the, the investigation closed in. So this happened in December of 2016 and 
in in May of 2017, the investigation closed and the verified findings of death were physical injury and internal injuries as to Derek Corden with Hannah Corden as the caregiver responsible. So Hannah Corden is um, Sister Bonnie Corden's daughter-in-law. And let's see, I'm kind of looking through this report. Um, In the report, the child protective team completed a medical examination and it was their opinion that the mother shook Derek vigorously, resulting in a sudden change in mental status and alteration in respiratory pattern. The family was neglectful in not calling 911 and not notifying the father's sister, who is an RN. The family was also neglectful in not having a family member accompany the mother while she was driving to the hospital with Derek. And that by the time he arrived to the hospital, he was in full cardiopulmonary arrest. Um, his clinical examination was consistent with a severe brain injury. Uh, let's see. Um, according to child protection team consultation, Derek's cause of death was blunt head and neck trauma. The manner of death was homicide. The injury included, and then they just go on with all this big, long list of right brain contusion, um, all these big, long words about hematomas and bilateral optic nerve hemorrhages. And I mean, it's just there was it says there was evidence of right to left brain shift with herniation. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. (sighs) It's so incredibly sad. And at the end of this report, it says Hannah Corden was arrested and charged with aggravated child abuse, but no additional charges were filed against the mother and the state attorney is not pursuing the aggravated child abuse charge. So she was released and just went on with her life, essentially. Did not have any further uh, consequences of essentially killing her two-year-old child. This is so incredibly sad that this happened. And I do, there are so many holes in this story. Like I have been thinking about this, like what in the hell happened? Except, you know, number one, the Cordons are a very wealthy family. Number two, Bonnie's son, Nolan, who is the father of little Derek, he's an attorney they have high status in the church. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure I'm making some assumptions about what happened, but why in the hell was she released with no further action by the state? I mean, according to Florida state law, they say that um, child, uh, child abuse resulting in the death of the child is punishable by a minimum of 20 years in prison. So what in the hell made it so she was able to just get off with with nothing? I I just, I'm so curious about this and alarmed and sad and, you know, just another freaking story of children not being protected. You know how like with shaken baby syndrome, you know that like it doesn't take very much for like a one month old baby to die from being shooken, right? Shooken? Is that a word? I don't know. But a two and a half year old, that would have to be some pretty violent shaking, honestly. Like I'm just trying to picture that scene and it just, 
freaking breaks my heart and makes me mad in a million ways, honestly. So, yeah. So I actually think um, I just saw today that Mormon discussions or not not Mormon discussions, um, Mormonism Live, Bill Real and Radio Free Mormon, they are going to be doing their Mormonism Live episode on this story this coming Wednesday. So tune into that. They will probably have more information than I have about it. But that's the little that I was able to find on the Internet um, after reading that story. And I was <sighs> upset, to say the least. The other thing I wanted to tell you guys about is I watched this show this week. It's a series on Netflix called Untold. And this particular series was two episodes. It's docu-series type of a thing. And it was called The Girlfriend That Didn't Exist. Okay, so this documentary is about a guy named Manti Teo. If you don't follow college football, you may not have heard uh, this story, but I remember, you know, when it happened um, because we follow college football and um, I remember this kid being Mormon. So for, for some reason it stood out more to me, but I, I believe this happened in like um, 2012 and I remember hearing this story and being totally confused and surprised and not really understanding what happened. But when you go and you listen to this series and hear all the details of how it, it all went down, it is totally mind-blowing, okay? Um, this kid, Manti Teo, he seems like the most genuine, kind, like genuinely good person. He's just like the sweetest kid. And he's young. He's, he's a college student, you know? And uh, he talks about his Mormon faith a little bit. Um, but essentially, in this story, he was catfished by somebody pretending to be somebody else. And it is so incredibly sad. I mean, it, it essentially ruins his career, ruins his reputation. The media rips him apart uh, about it. And anyways, if you're interested in that kind of thing, it's so good. One thing that stood out to me was that uh, as part of his story, he really wanted to go to USC. And he worked his butt off in high school to be like the very best so that he could get a scholarship. And so he... I, I want to say that he said he got offers from like 50 different schools and USC was one of them. And that was his, that was his dream school, right? He really wanted to go there, but because of his faith and because his parents said, well, you should pray about it, you know, well, he prays about it. And then he has some experience where he runs into a guy who I guess he looks up to who was some in some sort of leadership in the church. I can't remember exactly, but this guy basically says to him, Oh, I thought you'd go to Notre Dame. I really think you should go to Notre Dame. And so when that happened, he basically took that as an answer to his prayers. And he basically thought that the Lord was telling him he needed to go to Notre Dame when his dream was to go to USC. Oh, it's so sad to see like he was he was just trained to be so obedient and to do what he thought God wanted him to do and he gave up his whole dream you know because he thought that was an answer from God oh it just is like gut-wrenching but you should check it out it was good enough that I watched it twice actually <laughs> I'm a huge dork uh I watched it one night when my husband was at a late meeting for work and when he got home I was like oh my gosh you have to watch this show I will totally watch it with you again because it was so it was that good but it was really heartbreaking so check it out if you want to okay but that's not what our topic is today um I wanted to talk about change 
So there, there was a Greek philosopher that once said, change is the only constant in life. And I would add that the fear of change is also a constant in life, right? Currently, there are a lot of changes happening in our household. Today was the first day of college for my cute little Jezebel. And my older daughter started college last week. Um, she, she took a year off. They're only a year apart in school. So they're both brand new freshmen. Uh, one of them going to the U, the other one going to Utah State. And both of them have moved away from home to attend college. Um, they're both pretty close, but not home, right? Um, my son, who is my oldest, he is deploying in a month. He's been living with us for about 10 months, um, kind of in anticipation of this deployment. So, and my baby girl just started fourth grade last week. So all of these things have happened in the last two weeks and I'm feeling a lot of feelings to say the least, right? Um, my house feels very empty and, you know, we don't have a huge home, but we, we, you know, we never really needed more space. It was plenty big for our family of six. And, uh, we've lived here since my oldest was eight year old, eight years old. And my youngest was born here. So we all love our home and it's, it's a place of refuge. It's, I've always told my kids that this space in our home is sacred to me. This is the place that I want them to feel hundred percent safe from the world. I mean, our kids go out into the world and they face all kinds of scary things, right? Mean kids, difficult jobs, stressful school, less than kind teachers, rude drivers, you know, whatever, bullies everywhere. But I always wanted my kids when they came home, I wanted them to be able to take a deep breath and let the world just leave and leave the world behind them, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think because I, the home that I grew up in, I did not feel this. I did not feel the safety and unconditional love and I craved it and I vowed to give it to my kids. And I think I've done a pretty good job. I mean, obviously I haven't been perfect. Um, but one thing I'm super proud of is that my kids really do love each other. They confide in each other. They feel safe with each other. They're all protective of each other. And of course they still fight. They're regular humans, right? Um, but it's, it's actually incredibly rare uh, compared to how much fighting me and my siblings did in our household. I mean, we had so much contention in my home growing up. I, when I was old enough to like leave the house more, I would leave as much as I possibly could. And I wouldn't go home until I absolutely have to, had to, because I just didn't want to be around it. I, I never felt, you know, that, that safety and protection when I walked in the door, because there was always somebody there, um, to yell at me or to tell me what I'm doing wrong or to, you know, insult me or say rude things to me. I mean, the constant things said in our household were, I hate you. I wish you were dead. Um, seriously, things like this were said in my household, such ugliness. <laughs> and, and this included, and I, I, maybe it's not right for me to blame this on my parents, but I actually think it, my parents had a huge responsibility in this because they fought constantly. They didn't love each other. They didn't feel safe with each other. They were a constant um, source of contention. So it always made me feel sad and I wanted it to be different. And so when I had 
started my own family, I had decided that I would not allow that in my home. And (laughs) I don't know why, but like when my kids would fight, it would seriously, it was like the, the thing that triggered me the worst, um, and that made me the most frustrated about my kids. (laughs) I can think of multiple things that we did when my kids would fight. There were several instances where, um, I duct taped my kids together, literally, um, in a hugging position because, (laughs) because I was just forcing them to, you know, make up and, and be nice to each other. And so (laughs) it probably only happened, maybe twice, but I literally duct taped my kids together and it turned into the funniest, you know, they, by the end of it, they were laughing and just giggling and falling all over the floor because they couldn't walk. And, uh, because they were duct taped face to face, right. With their arms around each other. I also, um, I also like when they would say something mean to each other, they had to stop and say three nice things to each other and then give each other a hug. (laughs) And sometimes that was really hard because they couldn't come up with anything nice to say. Um, Sometimes my husband would make them stand up against the wall holding like a book or something like between their nose and the wall um, right next to each other um, as like a timeout measure to, you know, make them stop fighting with each other. (laughs) So there's all my, you know, secrets about... (laughs) Um, traumatizing my kids. I don't know. But, but the nice thing is, is they genuinely, you know, loved each other for the most part. There's always, you know, disagreements. There's always arguments. There's always, you know, some contention. I don't think you can keep all of that away, but it's really, it's really, I have a lot of pride about the fact that my kids just definitely love each other. And now I'm just looking around at a mostly empty house and it's soon to be even emptier because my oldest is being deployed and I'm feeling a lot of feelings. It's really weird. Um, I know that this is, I mean, this is what I wanted for my kids, right? Like we all, we raise our kids hoping that they will be independent and that they will move out and make their own lives some days, someday. And so it's exciting for, you know, you're excited for what lies ahead. There's some anxiousness because of the unknown, but there's also sadness at the quiet and and it's grief at not seeing my babies every single day. When they were young, I never believed that I would be sad about when they all left. I thought that moms who were sad about their kids leaving were weird. I was like, dude, they're not actually sad. They're just saying they're sad so that people think that, you know, they're really good moms or something. I don't know. I feel like when they were young, I wished a lot of that time away because it was really hard. I loved brand new tiny babies, loved, loved, loved that newborn stage. I really struggled in those middle years, you know, the, the toddler and, you know, for several years, right? Let's say like from like three to 12, (laughs) Those were not my favorite years. And some moms like have different stages that they really love, but that was my stages that I did not love. Um, but when they became teenagers, I actually really loved my kids. Like that's when they start becoming real people and have funny conversations and they really come into themselves and it's just kind of fun to watch. And not everybody loves teenagers and I totally get it. Um, I think I've been really lucky to have really phenomenal teenagers. My son had some, some definite rough years, but uh, 
<laughs> he was my hard kid. Um, but I love him even more for it because I think he's taught me a lot and made me a better person because of it. But yeah, that just all that to say, like, I never thought that I would really be sad when my kids left. I thought that I would be cheering and I'd be so happy. Um, and of course, you know, there is that part of me that's, that's happy. that's excited for their future, but yeah, it's kind of this, this, this definitely a, a hard change. And I've always been someone who hasn't been afraid of change. Actually. I think I get that from my mom. I mean, she couldn't even go a month without rearranging all the furniture in the house. Uh, because she just liked change so much. And I, I don't go to that extreme necessarily because my husband hates change. <laughs> he would love for everything to always stay the same. Um, but sometimes I really crave it and I love it most of the time. But um, this change really has been hard, you know, going from uh, being a caretaker and having that be such a huge part of who I am to not being needed. <laughs> it's a huge piece of my identity as a person. It's this strange feeling, this, yeah, even though I'm not technically fully an empty nester, I, I feel much of that emptiness feeling. I'm so grateful I have my little one because I would really be struggling if I didn't have her. Um, she has kept me young and I don't know, she has kept me really on my toes and, and has made me feel needed. So I do love that. But isn't it so interesting how how much life changes. I'm sure, you know, everyone goes through this stage at some point. And, you know, I have people in my life who don't feel any sadness about their kids growing up and leaving. And they're actually just relieved that they made it through. And, and they're really excited about the next stage of their life. And I totally, you know, I'm happy for them. That's, that's great. That's awesome. Everybody has a little bit different experience. Um, for me that this, this change has been harder though, for sure. The other thing I've just been thinking like, wow, my life has really uh, take on, taken on a completely different view in the last five years. If myself from five years ago got a peek into the future and saw me as I am today, they probably wouldn't recognize me. They would be shocked at how much my life has changed. If you would have told me five years ago that I'd be out of the church, I would have said no way. And if you would have told me that... I'm the happiest I've ever been, I'd have said, nope, there's absolutely no way. It's, it's not possible. If I'm out of the church, I'm, I'm miserable. Like that, you know, it, it just would have been shocking to me. It's kind of funny because I sometimes wish I could, you know, go back in a time machine and tell myself earlier, like, Hey, the church isn't true. You should run and run fast. And, um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I would have accepted it earlier. I think things all kind of fell into place. They, the way they were supposed to, and yeah, I, I genuinely feel like I am the happiest. I'm at the most peace I've ever been in. Um, but that doesn't mean that change isn't still hard. That doesn't mean that I don't still have my own struggles that I deal with. And, but it, it actually gives me like such a better way of dealing with my struggles and with things that are hard. I don't know. It's just, it's just given me such a different perspective on things. So, you know, they say the, the, the saying ignorance is bliss, right? For me, that was totally true. Cause in the church, I felt like I was, I, I felt like I was really happy. I wasn't, um, one of those people who says that they were always miserable in the church. No, I, I would have said that I was very happy, but I also believe in 
the, the saying that says, uh, the truth sets you free because it absolutely has done that for me. And if I could go back to ignorance, I definitely wouldn't. Um, there was a time in my faith crisis where I wish that I could go back to ignorance because it was so painful to go through that stage of it. It was soul crushing to learn the truth about the church and that I'd lived a lie. For sure, there were moments where I wish the earth would swallow me up and I wouldn't have to face the facts. But on the other side of that, I'm so incredibly grateful for the truth. I'm so glad that I get to live totally free of the shame and guilt and pressure of being perfect. (laughs) There was a time in my faith crisis where I totally info dumped on my sister, meaning like I had learned a bunch of stuff and uh, her and I, we were really, really close. We talked almost every day on Marco Polo, right? On that app. And I messaged her and basically completely dumped all this information on her that I had been learning. And if I could give anyone advice about this, I would say, don't do that. (laughs) It doesn't work out well. My sister and I barely have a relationship at all anymore. We went from, like I said, talking every day, basically being best friends to not talking at all, like zero for about six to nine months. And now it's like we've made some progress and we kind of, we try to talk to each other every once in a while. Um, but I think it's very like surface stuff. We definitely have these walls built up around us. We, um, we just don't have the closeness that we used to have. And a big part of that was because I completely, you know, dumped all this stuff in her lap that I was learning and she was not ready to listen to it. And I remember at that time I asked her that I asked her, I said, if the church wasn't true and I could prove that it wasn't true to you, would you want to know? And she straight up said to me, no, I would not want to know. She said that she was happy in her life and she didn't want to know the truth. If the truth was painful, she didn't want to know. And oh my gosh, I just felt like I lost so much respect for her (laughs) that day. I couldn't believe that she would choose that. And it just goes to show you how much we're indoctrinated to not look behind the curtain or find out anything that's hard or difficult to hear. So last week, I feel like I keep bringing this up, but last week I had brought up the movie Smallfoot in that episode. And so after, after that, I decided I want to watch that again. And oh my gosh, that movie is so good. I cannot believe, okay, there's this one song it resonates with. I mean, the whole movie just resonates with me so much, but this one song, I think it's called Perfection. And, um, the guy who's singing it, he said, here's some of the words. I just wanted to share some of the words with you. So he says, I don't want to change a thing. No, not one little thing. I do what the stones say and I'm doing okay. What could be better than this? Look at everybody doing their part and they do it with a happy heart and it gives them all a sense of greater purpose. I want to make them all proud of me. Just be a steady Yeti and deserve this. And then there's like this little, um, this little dialogue in the middle of the song where, um, this guy says, do you seriously think that mammoths are holding us up? What's holding up the mammoths? And he goes, uh, hello, it's just mammoths all the way down. Don't listen to them. They're questioning the stones and we don't do that. Okay. Okay. 
If there's a question causing you to stray, just stuff it down inside until it goes away. Got it? Good. And we all say, hey, hey, it's another day like every other. And I don't want to change a thing because we like living this way and we're doing okay. What could be better than this? It is what it is and it's perfection. (laughs) This song, holy crap, it is like Mormonism to a T. And the whole like, uh... What is it? Crap. Now I lost my place in the song. Oh, if there's a question causing you to go astray, just stuff it down inside until it goes away. Holy shit. Uh, I remember even in 2018, when I first saw this movie, I had a pretty heavy shelf already at that time. And this song made me think long and hard. The whole movie did. It was pretty enlightening and it resonated with me even then, even though I had no idea what faith crisis was coming to me. I knew at that time that things might be different than I'd been told my whole life. And that it was sending this message that you might think life is hunky dory because you've been told so your whole life. But what if things aren't like they really seem, you know, like what if there's more out there? What if the explanations you've been given for life, the quote unquote knowledge you have isn't really true? What if everything is different than you thought? I mean, I just remember all of these things kind of, you know, going through my mind at that time even. And this was before my faith crisis, but I definitely had a shelf that I didn't even realize I had. One thing that's interesting about this too is the fear that they instill in the yetis about learning something different that doesn't jive with the stones. Ooh, I think fear is a huge motivator. Maybe it might even be the biggest motivator when it comes to high demand religion. It's what keeps us in the dark. It what It's what keeps us obedient. If they can make us fearful enough of what's out there, then they can totally control us, right? The other thing I noticed is that Migo, he's the Yeti, the main Yeti, he would not have had this quote unquote faith crisis if he hadn't seen the small foot. So the whole thing, the thing that brought this all on is because he saw a small foot and he had always been told by the stones that there was no such thing as small feet. Okay, that they that they did not exist. So he had this experience that made him think different. And I think for most people, there has to be some event that causes that sudden shift or that change, right? I mean, I had several kind of small events leading up to this, like my son leaving the church, my husband leaving the church and watching, you know, all my, well, not all, but several of my like super TBM family members support Donald Trump and think that, you know, he was, he was a moral and good person and that he was sent by God to lead our country and bullshit like that. I remember, and I'm sorry if you're a Trump supporter, but I just, I'm clearly not. And, um, I just could not understand, you know, these are the same people who talked about how horrible Bill Clinton was, you know, and how immoral he was, but yet like he was nothing compared to Donald Trump. So anyways, that was a huge item on my shelf. Also, um, but the final event that really shifted me the most, of course, was my daughter coming out as gay. And um, I, you know, I think when I saw that, you know, Migo's, you know, big lightning, um, light bulb moment, not lightning, light bulb moment was that he he saw the small foot. So he saw proof that what he'd been taught was not true. And that was, that was super hard for him. So I think that's why I've come to this conclusion that, that change is 
a necessary thing in our lives. Change can be hard, but it can also be so liberating and transcending and enlightening and so freeing and beautiful and just all the things. Okay, so this made me think of a book that I just finished reading this past week. It's called Unfollow and it's by Megan Phelps Roper and it's about her growing up in the Westboro Baptist Church. It is so unbelievable and it's so interesting to hear her experience and it's so similar to Smallfoot also where like she was taught all these certain things and and she thought her life was very happy and wonderful and she thought her family was loving and all these things and then something happens to make her question everything that she's ever been taught. Anyways, this book was really uh, fascinating how similar our experiences are and how like she describes all the feelings that she had surrounding her faith and how it was the one true faith and how they were the only ones that that were going to get saved because of this and that and the other. And I don't know how much you guys know about the Westboro Baptist Church, but they are terrible humans. (laughs) Essentially, they did some of the worst things in the name of God. And it's so incredibly sad. Like I'll give you a couple of examples. They picketed funerals of soldiers and they basically like, they believed that soldiers died because like, because the people in America were not righteous enough or that soldiers died to teach us a lesson or their parents a lesson or something. And like they would picket their funerals and they would say like, thank God for dead soldiers. Like they would have signs that said that. And then when there were like mass shootings, like I want to say she talked about the Sandy Hook Elementary uh, shooting in particular. And she talked about how they picketed and they said like, thank God for dead children and stuff. Like they were really extreme in their beliefs, but it's so interesting to hear her account of it because she talks about how she genuinely believed that she was doing God's work and that she was doing a service for God and that she was that she was being loving and kind to people by telling them that they were going to hell and like by telling them how bad they were and stuff. It is so crazy how our brains can be made to think a certain way and to really believe that we're doing good in the world. And that's why I say like, I think that some members of the church when they are, when they're really terrible to, you know, an ex-Mormon or somebody who leaves when they, when they are, you know, super judgmental and basically cut them out of their lives. It's because they think they're doing something good. It's because they think they're doing what the Lord would want them to do. So anyways, that's a really good read if you want to check it out. Um, the fact that I could change my mind so completely, like it still, when I think about it, it kind of baffles my mind how I could change my mind so drastically from, you know, five years ago to now, because I was, I don't think I can just explain this enough, how in the church I was. And I sometimes think like, wow, I did the hardest thing ever. And that was that I changed my mind. I changed my mind. I saw things that I could not unsee. I learned things that I could not unlearn. And I allowed myself to change my mind. And so I think that that has helped me have, I don't know, just so much more of an open mind about change 
in general and about like, I don't have the anxiety around change or the fear of the unknown or the fear of losing something good. I mean, for sure there is still that, like, of course you don't want bad things to happen to you or, you know, to lose someone in your life. In fact, um, last night I just got some really heartbreaking news about some, some friends of my husband and I, they, we've, I mean, he was one of my husband's best friends, um, gosh, close to 30 years ago. Right. And then when I started dating my husband, I got to know them and they were married probably a couple years before us. And she was the photographer at my wedding. And, um, we didn't really keep in great touch with them, but we're friends on Facebook and I kind of follow what they're doing sometimes. And I've had a few conversations with, them over the years. But last night they posted on Facebook that they're getting a divorce. And I want to say, I think they've been married 27 years and it really shook me. I'm not going to lie. Like, I think I had this idea in my mind that they were the most perfect couple and that they were just so darling and that they were best friends and on and on and on. And it just makes you realize like, you don't know what you don't know. And we don't always know what struggles people are going through. And also, and also like, you know, when somebody dies and it makes you think of your own mortality, well, it's kind of like that. Like when you see somebody who you really love going through a divorce, you think, oh gosh, is my marriage solid? Is mine, you know, rocky is, are we going to have some huge upheaval in our lives? That's, you know, cause I just thought like, Oh, golly, if you get to 25 years, you've made it. It's like you just coast right from then on. But (sighs) that's a hard reality. You know, I've known actually a lot of people that have gotten married or sorry, gotten divorced after quite long marriages, you know, 20 to 30 plus years, you know, of being married and then get a divorce. And wow, that's, that's hard to stomach. It really is. And I think that can cause a lot of fear too. And of course, you know, nobody ever wants to go through a divorce, but I think that I've, one of the things I've learned and Glennon Doyle is really the one who taught me this is that I just need to have my own back always. And if I can always trust myself, then I can handle anything that comes my way. The thing is you don't have to be able to trust other people to live up to your expectations or to make you happy or to, you know, do what you want them to do. You only have to trust yourself and then just know that you're always going to have your own back. So that if you have that, then you can handle anything that happens. So that's kind of my message for today is change is the only constant other than fear of change, fear of change is also a a pretty, pretty good constant in our lives, but it doesn't have to be. And I think, you know, if, if you guys listening or anything like me and you've gone through this huge upheaval in your life, you know it, right? You know that this change is very difficult, but that there's such beauty on the other side of it and such peace and just, like exceptional joy. Honestly, I I didn't think, of course, because they teach you this in the church that you can't have happiness outside of the church, right? That nobody's ever happy if they leave the church. But the reality is (laughs) so different. If, if people in the church knew how great it is outside of the church, (laughs) 
oh, everyone would leave, right? Nobody, nobody would stick around for that bullshit anymore, but they don't want you to know. And, and that's why they teach, you know, oh, they might, they might seem like they're happy, but it's temporary happiness, you know, in the end, it's, it's never lasting joy, you know, all of that ends, but no, I, I disagree with that fully and completely. And I, that doesn't mean that hard things won't happen. That doesn't mean that change won't still be hard at times. Um, like this time in particular, it is difficult. It is hard to have my kids leaving me, but I'm so proud of them. I am so incredibly proud of them and I'm proud of me too. I'm proud of me and my husband for what we've done to raise these amazing humans and they're independent and they're good and they are just, I mean, there's not much more you can say than that. It's just that they're good to the very core, you know, and I'm so proud about that and happy about that. And so I can embrace change and be happy for it, even when I have to work through some hard feelings about it. And I can just know that I always have my own back and that no matter what comes, I'm going to be able to, I'm going to be able to handle it. I'm going to be able to deal with it. I'm going to be able to make it through and come out the other side, hopefully even better. So I love you all. I'm so thankful for the love and support that I constantly get from my listeners. You guys, seriously, you are so wonderful. I'm just happy that anyone even listens to this. (laughs) I mean, this is kind of just my own therapy. And sometimes I just get going and rambling and rambling on and on. But I get such great feedback and I just appreciate it so much. And I would just ask that if you enjoy this podcast, if you are gaining anything um, positive from this that you would think about donating. Um, You can go to dissidentdaughters.org and you can click on the donate button. You can set up an automatic monthly donation for like five bucks a month. It's so, you know, I don't, I don't expect, and I don't want anyone to, to go broke uh, supporting my podcast. Obviously I'm not like the church who says to, you know, pay me first and then pay your bills. Um, but if you can, I love it. And, and it's just, it's really what validating, I guess, uh, to be paid for the work I do on this podcast, a lot of time and thought and preparation goes into these and I love it. It makes me it's like a really beautiful outlet for me. Um, makes me happy. I love the people I've met. I've, you know, made some really great friends through this and I love it. Also, if you have any ideas for me on topics that you want me to cover or topics that you want to talk about and you want to come on my podcast and talk about it, or if you want to just share your story, like I love it. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for all of it. So don't hesitate to reach out. You can, um, you can comment on an episode. You can message Mormon discussions. Uh, you can, you know, there's a bunch of different ways to get through to me. So go to dissidentdaughters.org or mormondiscussions.org and click on the donate button and you can donate directly to Dissident Daughters if you'd like. And I would love it. I love the support. I love the, the wonderful feedback I get and I just appreciate it so much. So you guys hang in there. I am headed to Hawaii for my 25th wedding anniversary. And I am so freaking excited about that. And I'm going to be gone for nine days 
and I hope my kids are going to be okay without me. <laughs> There's always that little bit of anxiety about what's happening back at home without me. Um, but we've got all the arrangements made for the little one. And um, I'm just really excited to get a, some time on the beach and some time alone with my husband and some time to go explore the island and to do lots of fun things. So I will return and report after I am back, but there might be a little break here between this episode and the next. So be patient with me, but I love you all and thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. See you later. Bye.